You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. It's really great to see all of you this afternoon. Some, as some of you know, I, uh, for the last week, was on a trip to Germany with three other members of City Church who were visiting some ministry partners that we have over in Germany, church planners primarily. And um, for part of the trip, we were in a region of Germany, Germany called Saxony. And Saxony is important because it's where the Protestant Reformation started. It's known as the land of Luther. And so last week, while I was thinking about uh, the sermon, I was in the place where Luther lived and did a lot of his thinking and uh, kind of started the theology that has led to this church and many others. But Martin Luther, if you know anything about him, was a a fascinating character because he was the type of guy who didn't learn all of his theology in the classroom. He didn't learn it at university. He learned it through life. And he learned it specifically through temptations, the ups and downs of uh, trial and testing. And the reason I point that out is because I think we're a lot like Luther too. That the theology that we learn, what we learn about God and who he is and how he cares for us, we learn through the ups and downs of life, through temptation. And in fact, um, Martin Luther wrote a great deal about the topic of temptation. And he didn't use the most common German word when he talked about it. He used a different word, anfektung. And what he meant by this word was the, the various ways that God can test you to show the quality and strength of your faith. And he used it as well to describe the specific tests of the devil meant to distract you from God and lead you away from the path of life. And again, he's so much like us. As Nathan said a couple minutes ago, for this month in October at City Church, we're focusing on what it means to be a praying church by learning and reading together the Lord's Prayer. We've been going phrase by phrase or petition by petition, and today we're going to talk about lead us not into temptation. That's why I was thinking so much this past week about temptation. Lead us not into temptation. It's a central part of what it means to be a praying church. Right? Already we've learned, we've talked about, well, if we're a praying church, we, we need to be a learning church. We need to be a dependent church. We need to be a forgiving church. And we need to recognize that as a praying church, we are a tempted church. Lead us not into temptation. We learn a lot about ourselves and a lot about God through temptation. But this petition in the Lord's Prayer that we'll talk about today doesn't end there. It's not just that we're a tempted church, it's also that we're a helped church. Because temptation, when we understand it right, leads us to the help and the rescue and the hope that is ours through Jesus. So with with that as an introduction, let's read together Luke 
11, 1 through 4. And we've been reading these verses uh, for the past month. It's the simple statement of the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel, and this repetition is good for us. So let's give our attention now to God's Word. Here's what it says, Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we know that as we come before your word, the only way that we can rightly understand it is for your spirit to bring insight. So open our eyes now to see Jesus. Open our hearts to obey your word. And open our lives to the help that is ours through the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, uh, I just want to talk about two headings. First, that we are a tempted church, and second, that we are a helped church. We are a tempted church. Temptation is real. That's what this last phrase, this last petition in the Lord's Prayer in Luke teaches us. In saying, lead us not into temptation, there is an acknowledgement that temptation happens. It's real. It's not a fluke. It's not this thing that only happens to a few people. It affects everyone. And so as we begin to think about temptation, I want you to reflect on temptation in your own life. And here I don't mean like, oh, I was really tempted to reach for that chocolate dessert, right? We use that phrase sometimes in these, in these small ways, but I want you to think about real temptation, the type of temptation that Martin Luther wrote about and talked about. I want you to think about what that feels like in your life. Maybe it was a temptation from earlier today or, or this weekend or last week or last month. You know what it feels like, right? It usually starts just with a, with a thought, an impulse, a lust of the eye, or a lust of the heart. But then it becomes something that grabs a hold of you. It feels like it has control over you. You almost feel enslaved to it. And not just your mind, or not just your heart, but your whole body is involved in this. It's all you can think about. And and suddenly you begin to uh, manipulate circumstances in your life, or other people in your life, in order to address that temptation. And some of these temptations, right, uh, they're, they're not fleeting like a, a, a taste for chocolate. They last a long time. And many of you today might feel like you're caught in a cycle of temptation, in this, this rut of temptation that you can't get out of. You experience some fleeting um, freedom from it, but then it comes back. Others of you know the the consequences of temptation, don't you? You can look at your life and see the ways that what started as this simple impulse, but then uh, you gave into how it has wreaked havoc in your life. How it's led to broken relationships, how it's affected your performance at work, 
how it's led you to despair. The temptation is powerful, and it can even hollow us out. I think we need to start there in order to understand this petition. Lead us not into temptation. And we need to start with the, the understanding that temptation is real. We have felt it. We are feeling it now. And, and here's where it gets complicated, right? Because we, we hear this petition. Jesus teaches his followers to pray. Lead us not in temptation. It's a prayer to God. So is that, does that mean that God is the one who's leading us into temptation? Temptation is real. God is sovereign over all things. So is God tempting us? And the answer to that, unequivocally, is no. God is not the source of temptation. James 1, verse 13, says clearly that God himself tempts no one. But desire gives birth to sin, and then sin leads to death. So, with, with that understanding and letting Scripture inform our understanding of temptation, it leads us to maybe a slightly different and more precise um, translation of this petition. Lead us not in temptation is really saying, God, do not let us be led into temptation. Or let us not succumb to the temptation that comes. God is not the one tempting us. I've heard it described before, and this was years ago that I heard this, and I kind of liked the description. You know, that temptation works, it's kind of like uh, if a bird is flying over your head. You can't be faulted if a bird flies over your head, it's out of your control. But you can be faulted if you let that bird build a nest on your head. And that's how often we approach temptation. Lead us not in temptation. Do not let us be led into temptation. Uh, Christianity uh, has understood three sources of temptation throughout history. Uh, and they're summarized, they're actually summarized in the reflection quote from the Heidelberg Catechism that I put at the top of the bulletin. You can see them there. Um, and, and those three are simply the flesh, the world, and the devil. This is the, the summary of what causes temptation. It's not God who brings temptation, but it's the flesh, the world in the devil. What does that mean? Well, I think the flesh is the one that's maybe most familiar to us. It's, it's most readily uh, understandable. What this means is, as it says in Genesis, talking about Cain and Abel, it says that sin is crouching at the door. That's what Genesis says. And I think we know that in our lives. We know that the ways that it feels like sin is near to us and this, this hint, uh, something that we see or something that we hear, something uh, that we want can suddenly lead us into temptation. It's often through our actual bodies, right, through our eyes, through the lusts of the flesh that we're led into temptation, through our, our senses, through wanting another drink, wanting something to numb the pain in our lives, the flesh is a source of temptation. It was true for Cain. It was true for the Apostle Paul, who in Romans 7 writes about the very thing that I want to do, I do not do. And the thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. That's a human experience, isn't it? It's as though Paul is reading my diary when he writes that. That's how temptation works through the flesh. The second, uh, the second source of temptation is the world. 
classically understood. And this is kind of a corporate dimension of temptation. Remember we said uh, a few weeks ago about the Lord's Prayer that it's not an individual prayer. This is a corporate prayer. Teach us to pray, our Father. And it applies here to uh, lead, us, lead us not into temptation. It's a corporate prayer. And so there are ways that the world, the air that we breathe, the society that we live in tempts us away from faithfulness to God, away from obedience. We need to be aware of what those things are. On this trip uh, in Germany last week, we visited uh, the town of Leipzig and we got a tour from a church planter there who's been um, planning a church for the last seven or the last 10 years. And he told us about, Leipzig is in uh, the former East Germany, so it's in the eastern part of Germany. And of course, that was the part that was under communist rule after World War II. And he told us about the, uh, one of the insidious ways that the communist government in East Germany uh, affected people, and especially affected religion there. Because it, during that period, during that 50 years between uh, World War II and when the Berlin Wall came down, there was a, a huge, a drastic drop in Christianity. Really a drastic drop in all religious activities because it was a threat to communism. And what the communist leaders did was they created a secular analog to confirmation. You know what confirmation is. That's a time usually around age 13 in church traditions where a, a, a child will profess faith and they'll uh, take the Lord's Supper and their faith will be their own. And so what the government did was they, they created an alternative that wasn't pledging your allegiance and your faithfulness to God and the church but to communism, to socialism. And so they created this analog and they created a whole ritual around it. And they said, sure, you can still do your confirmation thing, but this is what really matters. Jugendwehe is what they called it. And the percentage uh, over those, uh, the first five years that they begin to implement this, confirmation had been around 80% of the population. It dropped to about 10% in a matter of five years. It shows the power of the world and its influence to tempt us away from faithfulness to be beholden to another God. And, and so uh, we, we hear that story, right? I heard that story last week and I said, that's awful, that's terrible. And I reflected on it for another minute and I realized the exact same thing happens to us. It's easy to spot when it's the communists. But what is the equivalent for us? What is the way that the world has captured us and is discipling us and is begging for our allegiance to something other than God? What is it in our world that is tempting every single one of our children to be discipled into and away from God. Tempting our children to believe that their identity comes from social media rather than from the God who created them and loves them, redeemed them. Right, it's profound and poignant when we talk about it uh, for our kids. But what if we reflect and say, the same thing is happening to me. That you and I are tempted every day to believe that our identity, that our value, comes from something other than the loving God who made us. The world is at work tempting us 
and so is our flesh. And the last of this three is the devil. We have to name the reality of the devil. The reality of temptation comes from the reality of a devil. This created being who is hell-bent on taking us away from God. Shelby read for us this afternoon the story of Job. There, very clearly, we see this narrative form of the devil seeking God's permission to tempt Job. There are other examples course as well. Actually, uh, Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer is helpful here. It's a helpful comparison because there it says, but deliver us from the evil one. We, we know it as deliver us from evil, but really uh, the, a proper translation is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The reality of the devil who exists lurking around trying to tempt you and trying to tempt me away from faithfulness in God. You need another example? Look no further than the life of Jesus himself. Before he begins his public ministry, he's led out into the wilderness. Who meets him there? Satan, the devil. And three times he tries to tempt Jesus away from the will of his heavenly father. And just as it happened with Jesus, so it happens with us. The devil is a tempter. I remember when I was in college many years ago, I heard a sermon on the devil and his, uh, the work that he does in trying to tempt people. And it was a sermon out of 1 Peter chapter 5, and it talks there about the devil being like this uh, prowling lion, lurking around, trying to see who he may consume. And it's a powerful sermon, right? I remember it uh, almost 30 years later. But there was something that was a little bit off about that sermon, and one of the reasons that I remember it is because it talked so much about Satan's power, so much about what the devil was doing, that it began, it began to make me think that the, the devil was omniscient. The devil was uh, omnipotent. The devil was omnipresent. And that is not true. God is all of those things. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. And he allows, at points, Satan to tempt us. But they are not equal forces. God is more powerful still. And anything that Satan does comes through the permission of God. So a praying church is a tempted church. We need to start here in this reality that temptation is real. But we don't end there. And what this petition in the Lord's Prayer is leading us to do is to acknowledge that temptation is real and then to acknowledge and put our hope in the fact that God's help is greater still. So a tempted church is also a helped church. And that's what this petition at the end of the day is meant to do for us, is meant to see the help that is ours through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're asking this question now. This is a fair question to be asking right now. Why would a good God allow for temptation? It's a fair question. It's a hard question. There's mystery wrapped up in that question. I can't tell you point blank the answer to it. But I know that through the temptation that God allows, we come to know more the help of the gospel, the help of Jesus. A couple weeks ago when I was introducing this sermon series, I said that prayer is less a discipline and more a function of our desperation. 
And I think that this petition, lead us not into temptation, is exhibit A. This is a desperate cry for help for everyone who knows the reality of temptation. If you feel, I asked you earlier, where are you feeling tempted? If that put you in a dark place, if you felt the weight of temptation on you, let me tell you right now, cry out to God in desperation for help. Lead me not into temptation. That is the hope and the help of the Lord's prayer. It is a cry that says, I cannot survive without you, God. As a prayer of faith, that is a cry that God loves to honor. You know, the reality is that sometimes we face temptation because it's only in the face of a test that we realize the strength of our faith. You don't know how strong you are until you walk against the wind, right? So it is with temptation. What often starts feeling off like this powerful force against us, maybe even insurmountable, this place where God's grace, God's help is concealed, it ends up in our lives being a primary place where God's help and his hope is revealed to us. Lead us not, it's a temptation. So how are we helped in praying that prayer? There are two ways that we're helped. We're helped through Jesus and we're helped through the church. The first one, of course, is the most important. We are helped in the face of our real temptation through Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that we are helped um, both by his finished work on the cross of defeating Satan and his ongoing work by the power of his spirit in helping us to live faithful lives. What you need to know as you face real temptation is that Christ Jesus has defeated Satan. He's cast him down. Christ has delivered us from the world and from our flesh. That is the work of the gospel. We see it uh, the, the first time in that wilderness scene that I described earlier where Jesus, before he begins his ministry, is led out into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil and he resists. He resists by quoting back to the devil God's word and he remains faithful. In all the places that we will be faithless, Christ is faithful on our behalf. So he does it first in the wilderness and then he does it finally at the cross. And at the cross is the place where Jesus through his death for us, his substitutionary death, he is stomping on the head of the devil. He defeats him. I think the book of Hebrews is really helpful and important for us to understand this point. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews 2. I want to read verses 14 through 18 in Hebrews 2. Listen to this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. It can't be stated any more clearly. Jesus has destroyed the devil who tempts you and me. It goes on to say this, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you feel like you're enslaved to the temptation to sin? 
Christ has delivered you from that. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That is good news, friends. It acknowledges the reality of temptation, right? It's it's not saying it's make-believe. It's not saying what you're experiencing isn't real, but it's saying when you experience that, you have the Lord Jesus who has defeated Satan, who has delivered you from bondage, and who continues to help you even now. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to him, and you are safe from the devil, and you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that you will not be put to shame. Let me read a little bit more in Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God knows, Christ knows your weakness. He knows your temptation. And he will help you in the midst of it. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the glory of the incarnation. It's why God had to become human to help us in our real temptation, to defeat Satan once and for all, to seal us with the Holy Spirit so that we know that we have help in our temptation. I'll go back to Luther for a second. I had fun reading uh, Luther this week. Because Luther, again, he acknowledges the reality of the temple, the, the devil. But he says this, grace, grace, grace in spite of the devil. That is the hope of this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. We can pray that with full throats, full hearts. Because we know that Christ has stared down Satan. He's our deliverance from the power of the devil. Here's another thing that Luther wrote about temptation and specifically about the devil. And this, uh, I think, well before C.S. Lewis wrote Screwtape Letters and, uh, about Wormwood, he, he captures the same idea. Listen to this, it says this, The very reason the devil comes to you is that he smells in you something of faith and of Jesus. He does not go to sinners. He isn't interested in them. In his very appearance, he is bringing you the gospel. You are of Christ. You see that? The devil's not going to bother with sinners. He's going to bother with you because you have Christ and know Christ. So when you face temptation, when you feel that coming on, laugh at Satan and remind yourself that you are of Christ. Grace, grace, grace in spite of the devil. That's the hope that we're praying when we pray, lead us not into temptation. So our help as a tempted church is through Jesus and it's also through one another. It's through the church. And let me end here. 
You see, it's, it's through one another, it's through our relationships, and it's through our communal habits that we face down temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 teaches us about temptation as well. And there Paul writes, he says, um, that no temp- you, you will face no temptation that isn't common to others. Nothing u- unique or new is going to happen to you that other people haven't faced. And you're not going to face any temptation where God doesn't provide a way out. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 says. That helps us. It helps us in community to be around people who have felt the same things we have, have lusted after the same things we have, and they've been delivered. That gives us hope. Jesus understood this fact. He understood the weakness of his own followers, his own disciples. On the night that he was betrayed, you know where Jesus went? He went to a garden to pray. He went to the garden of the Gethsemane, and he took uh, his disciples with him, and they fell asleep. And he came to them and he said, watch and pray, lest you too fall into temptation. You see, that's how we're helped through the church. That the church is a community that watches and prays together. Watch and pray. Jesus said it to his disciples as they faced temptation. And I say it now to you. In the name and the power of Jesus, watch and pray. That is how we're helped in the face of our temptation. There are more things, too, that we can say about this. Some is just the the common sense that we share as a church for one another. How do we help each other? Well, we, we tell each other that we have to avoid situations that require heroic amounts of self effort to avoid temptation. Right? If you're an alcoholic, don't walk into a bar alone. If you're tempted by pornography, you've got to do something about your smartphone. I've said before, is simple point, sin increases after 10 p.m., right? We need to not put ourselves in positions that require self-control that we don't have. We are a tempted people. Temptation is real. And through one another, we point out those dangers. You guys know that I'm a cyclist. I like to go on, on long bike rides. And, and what we do when I'm in a group of other cyclists, we call out dangers to one another, right? If there's gravel in the roadway, we yell back, gravel. If there's a car coming up, we yell, car up. That's what we need to do in the church around temptation. We need to be calling out the dangers in this world for one another. Watch and pray. And then finally, we need to trust in the Word of God. Trust in the Word of God. What I've tried to do today as we've talked about temptation is take you to all these different passages in the Scripture that teach us about temptation and more importantly, teach us about God's help for us in temptation. Trust the Word of God and bear that to one another. That's how we're helped through the church. Are you feeling tempted today? Are you feeling under that weight and pressed down? Or are you looking back at the wreckage of your life because you have succumbed to temptation? Does it lead you to faithlessness and despair? Friends, don't despair. Look to Christ. He helps you 
in your temptation. He has defeated Satan. And keep coming to the church and let the church be strong when you feel weak. When you're prone to fall asleep in prayer, let the church keep watch with you and pray for you and tell you the good help that we have in Christ. What we've been doing throughout this series is ending each sermon by saying the Lord's Prayer. I know we prayed it together once already in this service, but it can't hurt to do it again. So would you join me as we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven,